Welcome to the River of Suck podcast, episode seven. We're uh, recording live here at the Creative Strings Workshop in Delaware, Ohio. I'm your host, Andy Reiner, and my guest today is Cedric Easton, drummer, percussionist, and magical being. Welcome, Cedric. Thank you for having me, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you, to be here. How are you feeling? I feel a lot of things. Mostly calm now. The oh, nice. storm of the day is complete. So That's right. Let's talk about Cedric Easton. Who are you? I am a son of Emma and Charles Easton. I am a brother to Charles Jr. and Colin. I am a lover of broccoli and applesauce, but not necessarily at the same time. Uh, I am... (laughs) (laughs) True story. Uh, I believe in the good of people, uh, and I certainly love and support community. So that's who I would say that I am. I guess I'm a musician as well. Oh, yeah. That's That's one of the things It's relative, yes. I do have to ask, have you tried the broccoli applesauce? No, not yet. Not yet. But it's a true story that I guess those are two items that I have eaten ever since I was a a child, since I was a baby. My mother told me that. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So I used to think lima beans were cool because they were shaped like ovals, and that was my favorite shape. I don't like lima beans. I didn't like them then. I don't like them now. But I I did call broccoli green trees, <laughs> so which I guess they are. Well, they're like miniature trees. Yes. You play the drums, and you're mm-hmm. also a percussionist. Mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? I'm not sure. Uh, honestly, I was told that I was around four when I began playing, and I guess it was a shock to my folks, my parents, that I could play. And... I don't have a recollection of starting, so I'm I'm not sure. So you've been playing, you've been hitting things as long as you can remember. As long as I can remember, definitely uh, playing playing the drums. I actually thought everyone could play an instrument for a very long time uh, until I was informed that, <laughs> that was not the truth. Yeah, and that was about by middle school. I knew for sure that everyone couldn't play an instrument, but I thought it was something all people could do. Nice. So let's get right into the River of Suck. The River of Suck. So the River of Suck is a mythical river, and you're standing on one edge. Behind you is your comfort cave. That's your comfort zone where you do all the things that you already know how to do. No risks, no chances. Easy. On the other side, you can see future versions of yourself who can do the things you wish you could do today. And... There they are. You could see them off in the distance. They're a little like fuzzy and blurry, but there they are. In the middle is a raging river of suck full of whitewater rapids, rocks, and thought piranhas. (sighs) (laughs) I've been talking about negative thoughts as piranhas for about a decade. Nice. And then I met someone named Sarah Gorak, and she figured out that they were called thought piranhas. Wow. Which is 
<laughs> Thank you, Sarah. And Sarah's, for those of you listening out in podcast land, Sarah Gorak is here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Great. Yeah, super cool. I mean, I don't think thought piranhas are that cool because I don't want them to sabotage my life strategies, but no matter what, they always seem to be there. So that's the that's the river of suck. So I guess I'm wondering how do you see the river of suck in your life, in your music or otherwise? Wow. Okay. So let me go back a little bit. Yeah. You, let's go you back. Already inquired about my family, but I'll, I'll jump back. Yeah. And speak of them a little bit more. So Perfect. my I grew up as what we call a PK. That means my my father is a preacher. He mm-hmm. was a, a Protestant pastor, uh, and my mother was he- heavily involved in music, and she was the musician of the the local assembly. And if you grow up as a PK, <laughs> you are consistently drenched uh, of biblical stories okay. and information. Uh, a, because obviously if your parents are rearing you in with, within what they believe, then they would give you that, that context, you know, that... Uh, philosophy, uh, but also I think there's an expectation that you should know certain things. Oh yeah. So <laughs> uh, I, I bring that up because when you when you speak of this river of suck and the place of comfort and all that, uh, it made me think of one of the earliest stories that I can remember of, where it was this guy named Lot uh, in the Bible, and the whole deal was like he was supposed to leave where he was because this place was being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And the whole deal was like the angel of the Lord told him, do not turn around. And if you turn around, you'll turn into a pillar of salt. (laughs) So in my mind, it's almost like once you make the decision to go toward the river, forget getting inside of it, but just (laughs) going toward the river and leaving your place of comfort. Right. I would immediately say, never look back. Like, let it go. Mm -hmm. Because the moment you turn and look back, you become stagnant. You get fixated on whatever that thing is or wherever that place is. (laughs) When you look at it, I think the thing that (laughs) makes you stagnant is that you you make it greater than what it is. Right. Normally, you're not that comfortable. Or you, why would you leave in the first place? If it was truly comfort, I mean... You're uncomfortable in a place that's familiar, but that's not comfort. <laughs> so I like to say comfort zones are for wimps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, okay. <laughs> I mean, the cool thing here is that this week at Creative Strings Workshop, we're really trying to get people out of their comfort zones, try new things, take risks. And that's hard to put yourself out there in front of your peers and people older than you and people younger than you and people you think are better than you. Mm-hmm. Even though that's that's not how it really works. Sure. It's those thought piranhas. It's like they're whispering into your brain. You have to figure out how to swim with them and mm-hmm. make them your friends. Because they're actually trying to help us you're talking about the Bible. How about good and evil? Can you have one without the other? Mm-hmm. So you actually need to have all kinds of different thought possibilities. Like, oh man, I'm hungry. I better go eat some food. 
Yeah. Anytime these thoughts pop into your head, it's your brain trying to like communicate something from the rest of your body to that weird conscious thing. Sure. That's, that's mm-hmm. you. So, <laughs> no, I mean, maybe it's as you're speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, maybe there is there's some relationship between how you view something mm-hmm. uh, versus what it truly is. Right. So what you're talking about, I would call it awareness. Yeah. If you're hungry, you, you get signals that flow through your mind that say, right. hey, it's time to eat. But sometimes you, you may magnify that sensitivity if you say, I'm starving. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's a significant difference between I'm nervous about not knowing how things may or may not work out yeah. versus this is never going to work. I shouldn't try it. Totally. But they're, but they're very close. Uh, closely related, I think, ba- based on how we perceive things. Mm-hmm. So, as far as crossing the river, have do you feel like you've crossed any rivers of suck relating to music and your drumming? Mm. Yes, I do. I think, wow, in, in my drumming in particular, the thing about starting something uh, at an early age is that you're so ignorant to everything that you don't know how how yeah. how strong or weak you are at what you're doing. So <laughs> for me, like I grew up listening, CDs were still like a thing, tapes were kind of a thing. Yeah. And if I heard something that I couldn't play, my thing was always if if one person can do it, I can do it. That was just kind of my my mentality. So if I heard something and I couldn't play it at first, I would just continue to try. But I didn't have any evaluation of myself based on the fact that I didn't do it the first time or the 12th time or the 100th time. And I think that's the benefit of maybe starting a, a little early. So I probably, in terms of my playing, I probably crossed, crossed that river did, quite did, a bit. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you have a teacher or were you self-taught to begin with? It's so, it's so interesting. I was thinking about this in, in, the, in the shower earlier today, this dynamic of having teachers and self-taught. Mm-hmm. I perceive music as language. So technically, of course, right, you have people who teach you languages. Right. And, but they might not be your teacher. It's going to be whoever is rearing you, like be it your parents or older siblings. You, you sound like them. So did I have a formal teacher? No. But I had a lot of people around me who could play music well. Okay. Who I would say I was learning maybe by osmosis from those individuals at first when I was a, a little kid. I had a formal teacher for the first time when I was 18, I think, 17, turning 18. There was a guy at the school that, that I was at. And, oh, prior to that time, I didn't own a drum set. <laughs> so it was kind of, so, yeah, so was, <laughs> I guess that was like a part of the deal. Yeah, I would like just practice, I, like my imagination. So is, what were you playing on? Oh, like a bed and pillows. man. It's the same thing. It's kind of the same. Like, so you're, heal- <laughs> you're hearing like... Your favorite drummers, and you're trying to copy them on the pillow with drumsticks. I mean, not trying. That's what happened. You, yeah, you, you did. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, trying to figure mm-hmm. it out because mm-hmm. it's like this. In my imagination, it's the same thing. So right. So, so you, you can hear it. You hear more than just the pillow sound. It's making. Your, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. But around as a, a, a um, high school graduation gift. A, f- a bunch of friends of mine rallied together and, and purchased a, a groove percussion drum set for me. 
and and so I started taking lessons because I I felt okay. like that was the the next most reasonable thing to do. I don't know. Seems pretty reasonable, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the opposite of my experience in some ways where I had a fiddle in my hands as soon as I was five. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that I couldn't conceptualize anything on the violin with a pillow uh, uh, and, <laughs> and have got to where I am right now. <laughs> like, well, well, I mean, again, we would go to church. Right. You know, to you a, had opportunities to play on drum sets. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But always, yes, always. <laughs> Just not at, at home at, at church. Yes. Okay. And certainly not as much as I wanted to. How did church influence? who you are today in terms of your music? Ooh. Um, and in a lot of ways. Uh, for one, let's let's go back to the idea that I would only get the opportunity to play at the church. Mm-hmm. And because there was already two drummers who were, they were adult and they were stronger than I was, I would only have brief opportunities. So in a church service, you would have mm-hmm. a portion where they pass the plate offering, right? That was like, the low stakes. That's like the opening that's act. What, Even that's though it's not at the go. beginning, that's when I had the <laughs> chance, right? So you have this sort of five to seven minute window whenever people are done walking around. When when to, they're not really listening. No, they're not listening at all. <laughs> well, I mean, y- yes, well, they're listening, but yeah. it's not as captive yeah, yeah. as when the choir is singing sure. or something like that. Okay, yeah. So one, I think it set an expectation that was pretty high because in my mind, I probably didn't have these words, but I I was thinking I have to deliver. Like I've got to kill it. Mm-hmm. I got one portion. Yeah. Throughout this, you know, two hour experience that I get a chance to do my thing. So I, I definitely think it set a certain expectation for excellence. And yeah. the fact that I was playing with adults, it it aided in setting that expectation because. They don't care if you're a kid. I mean, it's kind of, it's rough. It's, well, it, it used to be. I don't know what it's like now, but but they want you to deliver no matter what. Uh, so there was, so there's that. There's the, the expectation of excellence. And then, like the spontaneity, mm-hmm. being able to respond quickly on your toes is a part of the culture as well. Right. Because I went, the church that I was reared in was what they call a Pentecostal church. That means people catch the spirit, they jump up, they start running, they start screaming the whole nine yards. Nice. So the other opportunity <laughs> I would get when I was really young is if the drummer got what we would call happy, like happy in the spirit, he'd jump up and take off running. <laughs> and then you... Then you gotta you gotta jump in there and, and just pick up where he left off. How many measures does it take? How many measures? I don't to know. Jump in there. It's so exciting though. <laughs> it's like I don't know if you play basketball, but you know the shot clock when it's at three, two, one, and you and you. Okay, and you, yeah. It's that level of excitement though. You get like an extra boost of endorphins. Of like, course, yeah. Because it shocks you first of all, but then you're like you can't really respond to being shocked. It's like oh man, go. Yeah. And you and you do your thing. So I think. Certainly, the the having a high expectation uh, of excellence and performance, and then also just being spontaneous. And because it wasn't it wasn't very formal, people also they weren't as patient. I, I think like when I think back about it, they weren't as patient about you sort of knowing your part and being able to deliver it.
Can you give me an example of how they're either constructive or negative feedback? Oh, how my you responded? Yeah, I'll tell you one of the most traumatic experiences I had. I was I was playing <laughs> at this church in Dayton, and and it was one of those high Pentecostal moments. And I, I don't know what I was playing to date. I'm not sure. But I was like 15 or 16, and the preacher said something. Maybe he said stop. Maybe he said, you know, he gave some kind of instruction. I didn't hear him. <laughs> and you ever seen those big family Bibles that sit on the middle of people's tables? They sure. don't typically read them. They just kind of keep them open. Yeah. He threw one of those and oh. hit me in the back. It was out. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure why I didn't ask. But <laughs> but he was, like, trying to get my attention, and he... I remember that. Yeah, it was pretty aggressive. I mean, you didn't, it, it wasn't enough that like everyone else stopped and you were the only one else. I don't playing. know if I heard everyone else. That's the thing. I, I, I it, just, it just, you were in it. I was in it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was just like, boom. Oh. And I saw the book and I was like, okay. You've I mean, been I hit by the I've word. Been, I got hit by, I got hit by the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about emotions. We have them. We can't always control them, but we can control how we respond to them. So that's what I'm really interested in. When I started this, I thought, oh, we need to overcome fear. But right off the bat, we can't overcome fear. We will have fear, and it's part of who we are. It's part of our old brain. So how do we kind of hack our attitude so that it doesn't cripple us and so we can you know, have our goals and move forward towards them when it seems impossible. Ooh, that's loaded. <laughs> also, also just like the fact that generally speaking, men have a tendency sure. to like sure. bottle up our emotions instead of talking about it. So I've found that talking about it helps. Sure. I would say at least one principal thing is acknowledgement. Yeah. And not just being able to identify, acknowledging what it is, and then being able to identify if it's what you are calling it. Because sometimes it's not Mm. fear. Right. Sometimes it's laziness (laughs) that we may call fear, you know? So for me, I I would say, let me me try to acknowledge what this is Mm -hmm. first. And then I can deal with whatever it is. Can you think of an example? Sure, 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 sure. So for a long time, I thought that some of the things that I'm doing now, like singing and playing drums, and I, I thought that I didn't enjoy it. Hmm. But that's not exactly the case. I enjoy quite a bit. What made me feel nervous is whether or not the people who were hearing what was happening was that, like they would enjoy it. Mm. So at first, so I was calling it something that it is not, right? I acknowledged the feeling that I had, which was uncomfortable, but I thought it was, it was uncomfortable because I don't like doing it. But it wasn't uncomfortable because I don't like doing it. It was and still is uncomfortable because I'm not sure how it's being judged by the people who are hearing or watching me do it. Yeah. I think it's also really common 
to experience feeling like you are being judged mm-hmm. when the people watching you are not really trying to judge you. They're rooting for you. They want to see you succeed. Take these people. Are you judging us right now? You just want to like listen and you want me to be Andy Reiner and you want Cedric sure. to be Cedric. Sure. But like if <laughs> it's it's so easy to I mean they look really intimidating. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> Oh, and now they look friendly, <laughs> except for that guy. You know? But, but, I, I but guess, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how it depends on how you how you look at judgment. I know the the context sure. that we generally use it in means has like a negative uh, connotation. Oh, but but judgment if if something if you cook food and I yeah. eat the food and I say this is good, I have made a judgment about what I taste. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a negative thing alone. Uh, in in terms of judgment, so it's it's something to be conscious of, right? Uh, and and I feel like you acknowledge it enough to become comfortable with whatever that judgment is. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who can play every note better than you think you can, mm-hmm. but. I believe when you see these people who are just so virtuosic, it's easy to think, I'm nothing. Who am I? What do I have to offer the world with my music when these people are so great and they know who they are and they know what they're doing and they've got all the gigs? Like, Mm -hmm. who am I? Why should I even bother? Mm -hmm. Has that ever been something that you struggle with? Yes and no. I would struggle in my mind before I got to the individual. Hmm. You know, so it, it would be less about how strong someone else can play versus how I think about what I can or cannot do. Hmm. So yes, I've, I've experienced a little bit of that, but normally most of my fear or negativity for some strange reason comes from inside of my own criticism of myself more or less than it does seeing someone else who's good at what they do. I get inspired generally when I see someone who's good at what they do. That's where we take charge of our emotions and you have a choice to be deflated and depressed and feel the heaviness of the world or you can be inspired steal mm-hmm. their ideas <laughs> and then steal their best ideas and then run away in the opposite direction and be yourself mm-hmm. what would you say to someone who's struggling with that though they see you play the drums and they're like man i wish i could play music like cedric sure sure but i'll never be him Sure, sure. I would agree with them that that they can never be me. And and and, and but and, yeah. and followed by right, right. but you can definitely be yourself. Yeah. You know, because that's man, you're you're talking about this river of suck. I mean, I, I guess I hold the philosophical position that it's it's all internal, mm-hmm. right? So it's not this sort of space that you're trying to get through it's what's inside of you that you're trying to sort through yeah you know so i would encourage them to sort through that figure out who or what that is inside and what or what that person has to say Mm -hmm. and how can you get past that because i feel like that's truly what it is i don't know if it's maybe if you would have asked me this 10 years ago i I would think of it in different (laughs) terms but now i think i would charge them to to deal with what they're hearing. If they played drums and they were a great drummer and they said, hey man, you know, drummers, we talk gear probably like everyone else. And oh, it's yeah. like, hey, what ride symbol is that? And what heads are you using? And so forth and so on. 
I would ask them the same question. Like, mm-hmm. what rice symbol do you have? What heads are you using to encourage them to get inside of their sound? One of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is advocating for themselves oh, and yeah. for their art. And you're wearing a shirt right now that says creatives hustle harder. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 It's so, true. <laughs> so should people advocate for themselves or th- should they just sit there and wait for the phone? And I, <laughs> Well, in general, I think yes, but you have to give me more context. So uh, advocate for themselves to do what? Someone out there come up here and say one way that you feel like you want to do something, but you've got a block. Is this a familiar feeling that anyone's had? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Austin. Here, let's trade. Well, I guess I, I feel when I see other musicians that to me are light years ahead of where I am, I feel like I can't advocate for myself because I feel like why should I have this gig? when this person's in my community and you know they could be or even joining a band there's this other there's a lot of opportunities that have come my direction and I should think why should I be the fiddle player in this band when there are people out there that could have much better ideas or can execute on their instrument have better tone all those sorts of things those are the sorts of comparisons so I'm guessing this is what you're talking about Andy like advocating for yourself yeah. uh, how, how to do that when you're kind of wrestling with the fact that you know that there are people out there who can play more notes who can have better tone who are you know more creative or at least that's how you feel well I guess my first question would be do you want the gig <laughs> I do that's the number one reason to advocate for yourself mm. because it's something that you truly want. It doesn't matter what someone else is or what someone else does. That's a variable you cannot control, but you can partially control the outcome. Maybe not even the outcome. You can fully control your activity, which may be as simple as asking a question. Hey, do you guys need a fiddle player? Mm. Maybe I can audition for you and be that person. So I guess this stems from just eliminating those feelings. Well, I don't know. We were talking about acknowledging feelings before, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I want to say eliminating. But you don't want to, at least you want to train your brain to not make those comparisons, right? And just think that I'm me and I want this gig. That's sort of where you're aiming at, right? I I think comparing steals joy, period. Mm -hmm. On any level, any subject matter, any discipline, comparing steals joy, period. Mm. Yeah. I'm a teacher. I I actually have that. I wish I could take my own advice better. I do have that on my wall. There's this quote, I think C.S. Lewis, actually. Mm -hmm. This comparison is the the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And I I think being a teacher, that's where, you you know, a lot of the things that you feel most strongly about are things that you really want to believe in yourself. And so you try to project that onto your students. But I think that's probably something that a lot of us struggle with. Sure. And again, I go back to the idea that the river of suck is internal obviously we know that right and these things are in your mind so when i hear people i live in new york city right so when i hear particularly students or musicians younger than myself when they say things like well no one wants to hear that people won't come out i i I want to remove the ambiguity who 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 is the no one who are the people name them 
And if you can't, that means you're talking about this figment of your imagination. Mm. So, again, I think it's how can you... I, I, I think I know the answer to how you can do it. <laughs> the only way that you can conquer this is by practicing. The same way you practice playing C in tune mm. over and over and over and over and over again. So I feel like the more you would ask that band leader or whatever the position is, the more you audition, the more you do the thing that these people or whatever the figment in your mind says you can't do, it will, it will actually help you do it better and have less concern. You may always have a little concern. I'm always a little nervous every time I play, mm-hmm. every single time, particularly in front of people. I mean, I'm nervous by myself. Um, <laughs> because I'm in my 30s now, so I feel things within my body that I never actually felt before. Like right now, my wrist hurt, and, and I don't know. I'm not, not my wrist, but my, my forearm. I think it's because I was playing too heavy for a very long time, and I was super excited, wasn't paying attention. I had these big, heavy sticks because I wanted to make sure the people could hear me over the DJ. It's kind of like this weird thing. But that's something I never thought about. I'm 33. I didn't think about that at 23. So I get nervous now, even alone. You know, can I do what I think I can do in my mind? And I have to get past that. I honestly think we have to remove the figments in our imagination that don't exist. Do you have any strategies for if you get stuck in a pattern of negative thought that spirals so much so that you kind of are stuck in a point where you can't really think rationally? I mean, I know that that's because I've studied what's going on in the brain. And I know Mm. that you hit a certain point and you actually can't make those rational judgments. You can't Mm. say to yourself, Oh, who are those people? You can't, I mean, someone might try to help you out of that, but there's a point actually where your brain, until you can get out of that pattern of thought, you can't make rational judgments. Mm-hmm. That happened for me last night, and that's why I, I was happy to jump right up, because I was just more negative than I'd been. I mean, it was like the darkest time for me. I felt like a teenager again, you know, mm-hmm. in high school, where I just had no awareness, and I, I, I got stuck there. It took me hours to kind of, talk myself through. I'm really big on scripts. Like what, what are some things that I could say to myself or Mm -hmm. repeat? And, you know, I tried a lot of things and I mean, I have my own strategies and, 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 you know, it it took me three hours and eventually I got to a good place, but Mm -hmm. you're, you know, older and more experienced than me. Maybe, maybe you have something that you do if you ever find yourself getting into that, or if you Mm -hmm. have, Mm -hmm. you know, younger people in your life who might get stuck there. I guess three things that that I've used, and maybe not in this order and or in this sequence every time. Let me first tell you that I used to have, I used to think so hard about certain things that I would get stuck for four or five hours, and I would be sitting in a position, and I would not move. I, I mean, I would just be thinking about something that I wanted to do, and thinking and thinking and thinking, and it would paralyze my activity which I do not recommend for any. Like, it's, it's dangerous. I mean, it's great to have a creative mind, but sometimes it, it could bind me up, you know, uh, and, and it didn't result in any activity. It would just be that moment of time that, that passed, and it, it's just gone. Um, well, for one, I, I would say <laughs> go to sleep. And the only reason I say that is because those moments will happen to me very late at night. I feel yes. like I'm the most creative between, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. I mean, just lights, colors, shapes. They're shooting shooting all over the place. 
Um, and, and I've learned to just turn the lights off, do my best to go to sleep. Um, another thing, I love to laugh. So I try to find something that engages my mind outside of whatever I'm thinking about or whatever I'm dealing with. Mm. So, you know, I might watch. I have like a couple go-to movies that that they're ridiculous, but I think they're really funny. Yeah. Um, so I would say like try to laugh. And then I, th- I, th- I feel like community is so critically important, right? So the company you keep mm. is important as well. There may be a time where I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I have to just call someone that I love, that I know I'll enjoy speaking to them, or I can actually lay lay whatever I'm thinking about on them, mm-hmm. and they will sort of serve me affirmations or tell me to relax or, or calm down. And it may not happen in that instance, but I do think that fellowship and those words are are critical and they help. So even if you feel like being alone or trying to escape from that, you think that the best way to go is to kind of... Or one of one of the strategies. One, yeah. one of the strategies. I mean, if it's being alone is good unless you're hurting yourself while you're alone, mm-hmm. and at that point, it's no longer a, a positive thing, and you may need help from someone that can help you get out of that mental state, even if it's just for a few seconds, give you a chance to breathe a little bit, come above water. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you, Sarah. Hey, thank you. Man. <laughs> give it up for Austin Skelzo. Yeah. fears or uncomfortable feelings do you have that Cedric or I could help you with strategies? Fear of asking questions? (laughs) (laughs) We've got Margaret coming over here. She's in my small ensemble this week. It's my fear of getting the style wrong so I can play something and I can also sometimes really enjoy it and and suddenly I get this Oh no, I'm sure I'm wrong with the style. I'm sure it's like this sounds like opera <laughs> or another classical sure. thing and it's all wrong. Hmm. And that takes my fun away and my courage away. The first thing I would say is to, I'll tell you something that I, I, I tell uh, younger students go where you are loved, first of all, right? So find a community that is familiar with the language that you want to play, but they also like you as a person. Because if, if they dig who you are, then they're probably not going to deliver constructive criticism in a way that would discourage you. So find a friend group that is more familiar with the language than you are and practice with them and maybe push the idea of performing for people a, a, away for a while. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. totally. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I also want to say, just because I've been listening to your solos all week because you're in my small ensemble, that you sound great. Boom. I'm telling you, it's always in our head. (laughs) And as far as I can tell, all the stuff you're doing is perfectly within the style, perfectly Mm -hmm. within your own voice. No one is taking solos that sound like yours. They're really good. You have a thing, and I love it, and it totally works in the music that I play. So, I don't know. keep it up it sounds so good i mean i and i think it's like the most important thing and what we're trying to cultivate here at creative strings is like developing your own voice Mm -hmm. because even if your own voice is not 
quote within the style, it's still your voice. Okay, I only know the tiniest bit of French. But if I go to France and I try and speak French, they will know that I am not French. Absolutely. But if I can use those words to communicate with them, I'm still communicating. I'm still existing in that space. And that that doesn't mean that I can't do it. It just means that mm-hmm. I have an accent. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that in the interest of including all the people in the world in in whatever we're doing, that should be seen as a positive, sure. not a negative. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I would even add to that, like, being patient with yourself and your process, you know, being devoted to it because being devoted to that specific language just because you want to be devoted. As you alluded to when you first started speaking, you have a extensive history of playing the language that you are very familiar with. Well, it, it might take as much time to be as comfortable in this new language as it took with, with the other. And that's okay. But make sure it's okay with you, that you're, you're patient, you know, along, uh, along the way. And whatever the music is in your head that you feel like you can almost get out but not quite, the thing that you're doing now, which is trying mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. and progressing and seeking advice and approaching life with a growth mindset, that is the path. That is mm-hmm. the river of suck. You're doing it. You got this. <laughs> so the question is who or what inspires cedric past or present and i'd like to add to that what music are you listening to these days okay uh i'll give you the music first i guess yeah. i was telling my groups this earlier uh recently i've been really into uh corinne polwert I think she's Scottish, a composer and, and, and vocalist, Laura Mvula, um, Richard Bona, and Indudozu Makatini, <laughs> South African piano player. You should nice. totally check him out. Yeah. Um, those are the folks that really have my attention now. I mean, I always revisit the music that I love, you know, Miles, Mingus. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big fan of... of Almost any kind of grassroots folk music uh, that that was born out of this landmass, you know, the U.S. Who has inspired me, past, present, and okay, certainly my my parents inspire me uh, simply because they have a, a certain level of integrity that is, I think, it's unmatched. Um, they've been with each other for forty years. That level of devotion that, that means quite a bit to me. Uh, so. My parents inspire me. Um, you all inspire me, believe it or not. People who attempt things that they're unfamiliar with. I'm easy, I'm sensitive, man, so I'm easily inspired. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like, if, if I see the right constellation or something at this camp, I'll be like, whoa. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll get captivated and generally inspired. But at, at large, kids who are learning how to play their instrument inspires me, you know, strong musicians. It's so much, and I, I don't mean to, I hope I'm not being vague, but I, I, I honestly believe what I'm saying. I'm inspired by, by quite a bit. People in general, I'm not like in the middle of the party, that kind of person, but if I watch you all, like this room and developing relationships, and that gives me hope. 
to try to continue to work hard, you know? If we want to find your music online or or in the music store, how do we find it? Great how, how do we question. support how do we support yes. you? How do we listen to your music? Thank thank you for that question. Um I'm glad you asked me this question on this podcast about the river of suck. I actually just put a song that I wrote like three years ago on SoundCloud. So I can be found there. It's on Spotify. It's on okay. Apple Music. Is that under Cedric Easton? It's, it's under Cedric Easton. And the reason it just now hit that platform is because I have been afraid for a very long time. Mm. I am also releasing music in October of 2019 that will be on all those platforms as well. Cool. So you can find me on those spaces. But that's a really good question, particularly now, because I've just decided to to be a little bit more courageous about putting music out. Yeah. Cedric told me after we were done recording that we could feature his song Inspire Me on the podcast. So I caught up with him later to ask him about it. Inspire Me is a single that was written really for the McConnell Arts Center. It was a commission project and we wrote the single Inspire Me and also recorded a music video as well. We actually ended up winning an Emmy for the music video. That's amazing. I believe it was an Emmy for uh, the lighting in the video. Sweet. Yes. Yeah. Just this past year? This past Emmy season? No, this was in 2016. And I never put the song out until a few weeks ago. <laughs> and what does it mean? Inspire Me is sort of like a prayer, if you will, or a request to be inspired. I don't know if you want to call it a... a answering of the call itself you know what yeah. I mean it's more of that, that kind of vibe inspire me help me to believe what my own eyes can't see inspire me Cultivate my soul sensation, help me to be. Inspire me, opening imagination, destroy each boundary. Inspire me, living out each breath I take as I run free. Things and come into my own expressions from my heart, none left untold. So inspire me.
inspire me, help me to believe what my own eyes can't see. One thing that I'd like to tell you folks who are here in the room and also out in the podcast listening universe, maybe you're in a bus, maybe you're in a car, maybe you're riding a bike. If you like what you're hearing, there is a way to support this podcast, Mm -hmm. make it more possible for me to spend more time having interesting conversations with such awesome people. And you get a lot out of it too. So for $1 a month, you get all of my albums extended interviews all the things got deleted on the cutting room floor well no not all of them (laughs) some of them you get extended interviews and full high quality mp3s of all the music created for this podcast a whole ton of music will be available and it really makes me feel good because i know that i'm not the only one trying to work with my fears that we all have these feelings Mm -hmm. and share it and for the price of one hipster cheeseburger a year, uh, it would. If if you wanted to join, that would be awesome. So that's it. Riverofsuck.com. Join the River of Suck swim team. I want to thank you for being here. It's so awesome to sit down and get to talk about music and life, and I really appreciate you opening up and answering difficult questions about your feelings. Definitely, I'm glad to be here. Special thanks to Christian Howes and Creative Strings Workshop. Credit to Liz Carroll for composing the tune Lost in the Loop, which we performed in front of our live audience and which you heard snippets of in the final podcast. Thanks to our special guests Austin and Margaret for asking fantastic questions. You can hear more questions from Nick Carter and other deleted scenes in the extended interviews available to the River of Suck swim team. Thanks again to my super special guest, Cedric Easton. Tune in next month for a trip into environmental science. Till next time, keep swimming. Father.